This is the Less Doing Podcast with your host, Ari Mysel. Learn how to optimize, automate, and outsource and be more effective at everything. Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast. My guest today is AJ Jacobs, who has made himself into more of a human experiment than anybody I've ever come across. And he is such an interesting, humble, intelligent, and just knowledgeable guy. I know that you're going to love this interview. Uh, just a couple little notes. I have a couple new parts of my website in addition to a completely brand new website, which should be launching anytime now. But if you go to join.lessdoing.com, you can sign up for my newsletter. Uh, there's a little bit of information there. But by signing up, you're going to get discounts to my courses and, and all sorts of exclusive, interesting information. And then the other thing is the School of Less Doing, which is school.lessdoing.com. Basically, I've teamed up with a great group of uh, television producers and we've filmed all my content over again and it's just looking really good and it's going to be hosted on my site and you'll be able to experience the art of less doing like never before so i hope you check that out and thanks again for listening welcome to the less doing podcast today i am so excited to speak to my guest aj jacobs is editor-at-large at esquire he's also the author of three books that we're going to talk about today and uh, some other really exciting projects. So, AJ, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you, Ari. I'd love to be here. So, let's start with the first one, I guess, which is, well, not the first thing. Well, So, your three books that uh, are all about sort of, in a way, I guess, maximizing human potential, right? Can we say that? Yes, extreme self-improvement. I mean, I need a lot of self-improvement. I, I can't speak for others, but I need a lot of improvement. So I took on these massive projects. So was humility one of the uh, attributes that you took on through this process, or was that something you had before? Yes, I am the most humble person alive. I am so <laughs> humble. <laughs> no, I, yeah, but I do think hum- humility is important in this world, but, uh, but it's hard to boast about humility. Sure, that's <laughs> That's true. Well, so in a nutshell, so I'm actually, it's really funny because I'm sitting on the floor right now because my brother-in-law is taking over my office and I'm sitting in front of a stack of books and facing me right here is Drop Dead Healthy by Ed J. Jacobs. So why don't we start there? Because it's right there in my face. Well, you could have written that yourself, as we all know. Thank you. Um, (laughs) You tested some things that I don't think my wife would have let me get away with. So um, (laughs) Drop Dead Healthy was your quest to become the healthiest person in the world, right? Or ever, really. That's right. I mean, about this was about four years ago. I was in terrible shape. I wasn't traditionally fat. I was what they call skinny fat. So I looked like a snake that had swallowed a goat. And it's a, like six months pregnant look. And I, uh, I was in bad shape, ate what I wanted. And, uh, and my wife said, you know, I don't want to be a widow when I'm 40. Uh, actually, she's already 40 <laughs> when I'm 40, when I'm 47, let's say. Uh, so you got to get in shape. And I said, all right, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it methodically, like I did my other books. So I, I got a board of advisors and doctors and nutritionists and trainers and experts of all kinds. And I wrote down a list of hundreds of health tips. And my idea was to test every single one of them to see what worked, at least for me. And then I could sort of present this final report card on what 
actually is the best way to improve diet and exercise, sleep, sex life, stress level, the whole thing, every aspect. So uh, it is worth pointing out, I think, to people that you, you weren't on a quest to become the fastest sprinter. You weren't looking to become the strongest power lifter. You were looking to become healthy, you know, and that, because that is subjective in some ways, right? It is subjective. I mean, for me, healthy meant, as you say, it doesn't have anything to do with six-pack abs, which right. I definitely don't have. <laughs> but it is uh, about a sense of freedom from disease, but more than that, a sense of well-being, happiness, and energy. I mean, I definitely, one of the big changes was that I got my energy back. And, uh, and you know, that that is pretty key. Okay, well, so I was actually going to ask you something different, but that, that made me think of something. Uh, if you got your energy back and you, and you did all this was an experiment, was, what was the, the top one or maybe top three things that you think specifically contributed to you getting your energy back? Because that's a common thing. People sort of feel run down or they feel less motivated for whatever reason or they just they get in ruts. So what, what is it? it. Yeah, so what is it that you felt made the biggest difference and the biggest impact on your energy? Well, a couple of things. Uh, one was... That I uh, I do. You've probably heard of treadmill desks. Yes. Where you uh, put your computer on top of the treadmill. I went all in. I was an early adapter to that. Adopter? Early uh, one of those two. <laughs> and I was, uh, so I still, I would be on it now, but it kind of makes a whirring noise, which might be distracting. But overall, I, I do most of my writing and emailing while I'm walking very slowly on my treadmill desk. And that actually gives me more energy. I thought it would tire me out, but quite the opposite. Now when I'm sitting at my in my chair, I get more lethargic. I'm, I can barely keep my forehead up from plopping on the keyboard so i am all about uh movement not not just move you know going to the gym but trying to incorporate movement into every part of your day and i realize it's not easy for everyone to have a treadmill desk i'm lucky enough to work at home but even if you just get up every 20 minutes half an hour and walk around for a minute like that will do wonders to increase your energy so that's just one small tip uh but i do have others well so i should that's a great one and i I do want to talk about that so uh, a couple interviews ago on my podcast, I interviewed Dr. Michael Greger, and he was walking on the treadmill the entire time we were talking, and it was mm. great. He said he does 17 miles a day. Uh, 17. 17. He beats me. And, I do about eight. Oh, well, oh, he, I guess he's at his desk a lot more. Um, <laughs> but what I find really interesting about this, and I've said this before in podcasts, but it's worth I, – I don't mind beating this point to death, and you're reinforcing it. I went from – I was you know, an Ironman triathlete, and I was in really, really super good shape and working out all the time. Now I have three kids who are really young. I don't. I work out okay. maybe once a month, but I'm very active. I'm constantly right. not only walking around, carrying something or someone, and doing a lot of squats. <laughs> so yeah. there's this idea of an active lifestyle versus structured exercise. And as you said, you know, some people can't work at home, obviously, and have a treadmill desk. But just moving, it's, it, it seems like such an obvious thing. But just moving is so important and so good. So I'm glad that that was one of the things that you really took out of that. Yeah, I totally uh, agree with what you just said. I mean, we tend to uh, compartmentalize exercise, go to the gym for an hour if we're lucky, and then the rest of the time just sit on our butt. But I think the studies have shown that is almost as bad for you as not going to the gym at all. So I think 
what what you do is is a very wise way to go. Just be moving all the time. Yeah, use your kids as uh, exercise equipment. I do it all the time. I lift them up. I do little uh, you know bicep curls with them, and uh, and squatting. I'll tell you when I talk to my kids, I like to squat down to their eye level. Partly because I'm a, I'm able to communicate with them better, but partly because I'm now doing like 50 squats a day. It's great. Yeah, exactly. And squats are. I'm a big fan of squats. So, um, how how old are your kids? I have a nine year old and twins who are seven. Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, wait, I didn't realize that. Oh, I think I did realize that actually. So obviously, I, then you probably remember better than me that I have a 23 month old and twin seven month old. So we pretty much have the same difference there. Wow. Okay. That is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you, the, the, I have no wisdom to give you about that, but it, it's, it's been an interesting ride. <laughs> that was going to be the next question. Uh, <laughs> Maybe okay. I have a little wisdom. Yeah. Well, so, so give me one other thing then that was, um, that was an energy booster. All right. Well, one, this, this sounds incredibly obvious, but, uh, but getting seven and a half to eight hours of sleep is just it was mind-blowing and i hate sleep i am a i am a very anti-sleep because i always think i'm wasting time but the truth is when you get that much sleep you are more productive because you wake up and you can just go right into it and uh i i have really had to train myself to get that much sleep because it's not in my personality but it, the studies are just shocking about what lack of sleep does to you. I mean, it, your job performance suffers, your mood, your uh, obesity, you get fatter, uh, and your IQ, it actually affects your ability to think. So your IQ lowers, you know, not permanently, but the next day you're, you're slightly dumber if you didn't get enough sleep. So uh, I hate to say it, but, but get that seven and a half hours, eight hours, and you will be more productive. Okay, so this is the thing that scares me with that a lot. I, so I don't get seven, eight hours of sleep right now. We have, you know, the, the, the twins are pretty young. Uh, and you're, right. you're a parent. You've obviously been through that. And uh, I, I'm all about biohacking and sleep hacking and, and doing what I can. In a perfect world, it'd be great to get the seven and a half to eight hours of sleep. The, the thing that's so scary is you see these things that are like, oh, if, you know, three missed nights of sleep is quadrupling your rate of cancer. It's like, well, everybody, ha- you know, most of the evolutionary population has had kids and had to deal with this at some point in their life. So what are you supposed to do? (laughs) That is an excellent question. (laughs) And yes, I don't uh, get enough sleep, but I, uh, I am a good napper. Ah. If you can, I, I can nap like Wesley Clark. I remember, uh, I didn't want to vote for him as president, but I remember reading that he could will himself into a power nap at any time, like sitting in a seat, just cross his arms and will himself to sleep. And I have become very good at that. And uh, it's really remarkable how, how much a nap will change your mood. And there are studies done on, uh, on Air, Fl- Air Force pilots and how much more accurate they are if they take a nap right before their flight. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and my trick is, it's not not original to me but it really works is counting backwards by three because uh you start at like a random number like 784 and then you count 781 778 775 and it's just boring enough and just challenging enough to like to put you right to sleep i'm sorry what'd you say (laughs) (laughs) um so that's okay 
That's really good. And I'm, I'm curious if you had any research on that because I also am a very good napper and not that we get a big opportunity, but I remember once when I was in college and I was studying with a friend and I looked at him and I said, I'm going to take a nap for the next five minutes. Can you wake me up? And he was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And I closed my eyes and I fell asleep within about a minute, I think. Um, and I've always been sort of good at that. I can, I can fall asleep you know, while giving someone a bottle for those three minutes during the day. So, so it doesn't have to be seven and a half to eight hours in a row. That's right. I mean, I, ideally I try to get seven and a half hours of sleep, but usually, well, not usually, but often I get six hours and then I take maybe a a 15 minute nap uh, and then a five minute nap. And that really does work for me because yeah, there's lots of research on napping and how good it is for you. Yeah, I'm. We, uh, our bodies, in fact, in the afternoon are built to nap. You know, our energy level dips in the Absolutely. late afternoon. So the siesta was a more natural way to go. I, I drives me crazy because when I would go to, you know, Spain or someplace and want to do errands at lunch and everyone's asleep in their houses, it was so frustrating. Yeah. But they were, they were onto something. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so when you were doing the research for the book and you were and you had this board of advisors and the uh, you know I'm, I'm assuming doctors, nutritionists, and and whatnot, what did you do when you got and I, I'm sure you did get conflicting opinions? Oh, tons of uh, conflicting opinions. Well, to me, the way you got to look at health advice, it's almost like how I look at picking a movie. I don't just pay attention to than what the New York Times reviewer says or the New York Post. I look at Rotten Tomatoes and see how did it do with 150 critics mm-hmm. because that's an aggregator and it takes you know what all of the critics in the country say. And I believe that you have to do that with health because you can always find one expert who's going to say, you know, eat only bacon and you'll live to be 153. There's always these outlier crazy experts. So to me, what you do is you take, you do look at metadata. You look at meta analyses of, of hundreds of studies and see what comes out. Now there are disadvantages to this. You know, there are trends and frauds and fashions and science, but overall I think it's the best strategy. You, you can't just look at one, one the the most recent study you can't look at one study don't pay attention to newspaper headlines cuz they are always looking for the new angle and the new angle is not always right in fact it's almost always wrong so look at there are many sites like the Mayo Clinic actually is a good site for that um uh and there are many other sites that will allow you to look at the broad spectrum Okay, well, so then what's one thing that you did that you were so sure was not going to work or help, and it did? Uh, hmm, that's a great question. I would say, well, partly it was the idea of moving around, which I always thought was going to tire me out because ah. I had a very, uh, I, I thought of myself as, uh, you know, uh, an engine that had only so much gas. Right. So but you, our bodies, you wanted more rest. Yeah, I thought, oh, if I rest, I'll be more relaxed. But no, it, it doesn't work that way. And 
And, you know, I also grew up with the whole idea of dumb jocks, you know, people who exercise are dumber. Uh, And unfortunately, that is not the case. It's actually smart jocks. I mean, there's lots of research to show that when you exercise, it's better for your brain. There's a great book called Spark by a Harvard psychology professor. Now, I will say the caveat to that is if you're, you know, out on the rugby field practicing for 14 hours a day instead of studying, yes, that's not going to be good for your intelligence. But in general, activity is good for your for your brain. Okay, so that's cool. So the uh, the wearing of the helmet all the time wasn't wasn't a big one then. <laughs> no, that was just uh, that was a little experiment. You know, most experiments that experiments fail, but you just find the ones that work. And by the way, that one, in case you haven't read the book, is that uh, there there are people who, especially it seems in Scandinavia, who wear helmets, uh, pedestrian helmets, uh, to be ultimately safe because there are statistics that show that. Doing things around the house and, uh, and just walking down the street can be as dangerous as, as doing yeah, uh, something like uh, a sport uh, a, uh, or, or drunk driving, drunk walking. There's some stats that say drunk walking is as bad as drunk driving. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, you, you you lived through that experiment, which is good, obviously. Uh, okay, and then what was and and then on the, the other side of that, what was something where you're like, oh, well, this is obvious, and then it turned out to not be effective or maybe even harmful. Hmm. Well, one of the things that I don't recommend, and, and you may disagree, is I am not a fan of colonics. Uh, <laughs> I I agree. <laughs> I, I right, agree. Good. I mean, there are some passionate colonic defenders out there, but for I think me, you can clean from the top down better than the bottom up. That's it. Uh, yeah, our bodies were built to. We don't have to like shoot things up the butt to <laughs> clean them. And I actually, I go the other side. I don't like juicing either. I'm not a fan of juicing. Which I also I know. agree. Yeah. Oh, yep. that's great. Yeah, because it's the way. The way that it comes out of the ground is much better for you than taking out all the fiber. Uh, so juicing is a very strange craze to me. Uh, and and all of the if you if you look at the medical research, you know it it does not support juicing. And and it's so crazy expensive nowadays. These like blueprint cleanse charging like two hundred dollars. Oh my god! For a three day cleanse drives me crazy. So just eat. You know, you might lose weight. You might lose weight because you're you in uh, taking in fewer calories, but then you're going to gain it back once you start eating. Well, you also might feel great because you're not eating the McDonald's cheeseburger for three days. Right, but you would have feel just that uh, great exactly. if you ate apples and salads. Exactly. No, I'm I'm completely on board with you on that. And 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 I, because again, just like the difference between structured exercise and lifestyle, an active lifestyle, the same thing between a diet and a lifestyle. You know, a diet is is sort of by nature temporary. Right. Exactly. So, it's a weird word. We should not be using the word diet. Yeah, I right. agree. And there's that corny joke that it begins with the word die, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and then as far as exercising and working out, as you said, you don't have six-pack abs. You're not. It wasn't really a goal. But was there, for someone like you who wasn't interested in that, just, they just wanted to feel better and more energetic, was there kind of a, a particular kind of exercise that was effective and not too jarring on you? Well, I do. I think the key is to do what you love. Otherwise, you're never going to be doing it. So, if it's you know, even gardening, I I don't love gardening, but people who do, you know, that's actually can be quite uh, 
uh, quite uh, difficult physical activity. Sure. Uh, so I would say, yeah, do what you love. Now, I also did get into the whole idea of high-intensity interval training, which you might know about. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I think that really is effective, and there is there is uh, literature to back that up, that if you exercise really hard for a really short amount of time with taking breaks, that that is as good for you as sort of a moderate-level workout that takes an hour. So you can actually get a great workout in 10 minutes. But the catch, of course, is that it's, it's incredibly unpleasant. Like, you are in serious pain. So it's sort of the idea of, like, a Band-Aid. Do you want to take the Band-Aid off slowly uh, and, uh, you know, a little bit of pain but for a longer time? Or do you want to rip it off and be in extreme pain but just for a short amount of time? So sometimes I do do the high-intensity interval training. I do. I think there is something to it. But most of the time, I'm doing what I love. I'm, I'm walking or I'm playing with my kids. Great. No, and I think that that's that's really excellent advice. I I am a fan of the of the high intensity interval training as well. Uh, but of course, as um, one of my favorite health bloggers says, you have to make, make take a visit to the pain cave whenever you're going to do something <laughs> like that. Because the oh, truth yeah. is, that's what one you know. Just as you said, with looking at studies and, and law of averages and all that stuff, high intensity interval training does not work unless you take it to that level. So yeah. you can't just sort of, you know, do it. You really have to, it hurts. So, um, it's, it's, you know, some people are of that mindset. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, some people, I wish I love pain. There are people who love pain. This whole tough mutter movement. I wish I enjoyed that. I, I, I like lack of pain. Yeah. I'm one of the people who really enjoys not, not torturing myself. Yeah, I, I did one of the first Tough Mudders that was so brutal that they they actually had to move it up a month because it was too cold when I did it. And uh, exactly. yeah, I can't I can't even imagine the mindset that I was in to have gone through that. To be honest, I am super. What <laughs> did you go through all of the uh, electrodes shocking your body? So we actually I did it so early that the electrodes were the surprise new obstacle when I did it. Wow, that is early. <laughs> but more importantly, the air was forty four degrees. The water was thirty five. 35 yeah oh a lot of people God. went to the hospital they do they do the race that i did about a month earlier now and when we did well my team did great but afterwards i was like i, I couldn't even I, I i don't know how we did it so i am impressed <laughs> yeah, that is impressive uh so um before i move on from the health i just want to talk about food for a second so I, yeah. one of the more amusing things of the book for me in, in terms of food was the the uh what do they call them the starvation people that you know the 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 meal that you had that was uh oh yeah these are this is the uh, calorie restriction movement right and the idea is and there is a little bit of science behind it that if you eat very very few calories per day almost on a starvation diet you will live a long time like over 100 years and so a lot of people do this and uh and i went to the house of one of the founders and our dinner was literally uh, for an appetizer. We had a blueberry. We each had our own <laughs> one blueberry, and then for the main course, we had a walnut. So that was the whole, whole meal. And uh, wow. I'll tell you, you know, I think that the jokes that they say about calorie restriction, the obvious joke is, yeah, you may you may live longer, but who the hell wants to? Wants and to? I I agree with that too. I think. Being having a pleasurable life is is 
first of all, incredibly healthy. Like you want, you'll you'll live longer if you have a happy life. And secondly, you know, isn't that the whole point of health is to have a good lifestyle to enjoy so your I'm, health? Yeah, enjoy it. So I'm not a huge fan of that. I will say another crazy movement that I found on the internet, but that I I kind of. Uh, uh, grew to be fond of is the idea of chewdyism, and uh, that's what they call it because they are very passionate chewers. Ah. They are huge fans of mastication, and I uh, they will chew. They'll take a bite of something and chew it for like a hundred times, uh, and that is insane because it takes like a day and a half to eat a sandwich and <laughs> I don't recommend it. But the idea of chewing more, like instead of like seven chews, which is what your average American might do, uh, you know, try to chew 15 times because it, you get more nutrition a little, but more importantly, you slow down your eating. And that to me is, is crucial because as you know, you know, the, it takes 20 minutes for the stomach to send the message to the brain that it's full. So the more, the slower you eat, the less you eat, the better you eat. Have you ever seen the movie Well, The Road to Wellville? I did. Do yes. Remember, do you remember Chew, Chew, Chew for It's the Thing to Do? <laughs> <laughs> well, there was back then. Yeah. There was a guy named Horace Fletcher who was like a huge, he thought chewing would save the world. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, he had all of these songs, and uh, so he was the he was the chewing. He was like the grand, the Henry Ford of chewing, the grand chuba. Um, yeah. So uh, okay, well, I mean, I could talk about healthy all day long, but let's let's move on to to the know it all. Okay, so this was your quest to become the smartest person in the world, and I think that your approach of was an interesting one of basically reading the entire Encyclopedia Britannica, right? That's it. My father had started to read the encyclopedia when I was a kid, but he did not quite finish. He made it up to the middle of the letter B, right, right around Bolivia, and uh, and then he, you know, he had kids and he had a life, so he he moved on. But I thought maybe it'd be interesting to to finish what he began and remove that black mark from our family history. So I did. I spent a year and a half before I had kids uh, reading nonstop for about a year and a half. Uh, Every page of the encyclopedia, which was uh, 33,000 pages, about 44 million words. And it was a fascinating experience. You know, not all of it. Some of it was incredibly boring. Uh, nothing against Portuguese literature, but I know too much about it. But there's, but there's, there was so, so much in there that you could latch on to and that actually will change your perspective on life. So I'm actually almost more interested in how you were able to accomplish this to begin with. You know, did you just set aside a certain number of pages you were going to hit every day or uh, a chapter or a section? Like, or, and how did you stick to it? Did you, you know, did you use the, uh, the daisy chain method of like never breaking the chain? Like how did you actually read that much? Yeah, it was a, every day I had the goal of it was, you know, sort of the quantified self before the quantified self. A hundred pages a day was my goal. Okay. And I tried, to, as you say, to never break a day, never miss a day. I would go to work. I would sort of phone in my job at Esquire magazine and I'm, I'm very flattered. I wasn't fired. <laughs> my boss is understanding. And then I would go home and I would read. And you know what I would do also? I would take a nap. As soon as I got home, <laughs> of a nap, and that would give me energy to read. And uh, I will tell you that, um, you know, I don't think I could do it now with the kids, but it was, 
it, I, I don't actually like climbing mountains, uh, but I like this was my intellectual mountain, my intellectual Mount Everest. So it was a feeling of accomplishment. And of course, I did have a book contract before I started. So that was certainly a nice carrot to keep me going. Yes, of course. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. If I didn't. If I didn't have a book contract, I'd probably still be on the like the letter R or something. <laughs> That's pretty far in, honestly. So, uh, in in true Sesame Street fashion, what was your favorite letter? My favorite. Well, partly I like the short ones because like the letter Q, you know, very short. And I learned a new Scrabble word. Like you know, the two letter words in Scrabble are very important. So Q A is a Babylonian liquid measurement. Ah, so I, is I, it I a like ka? Yeah, that's it. You okay. know, here you've got Babylonian heritage, I'm sure. All over the Babylonians. But you know, the big lesson, the big takeaway from that was uh, that I was much more grateful to be alive after reading that, the encyclopedia, because you read the whole span of human history, and people like to talk about the good old days. Let me tell you, the good old days sucked. They <laughs> sucked ass. It was a horrible, horrible life. We live, you know, this is all, we've got huge challenges now. But compared to what people had to live through in the past, I mean, just surgery without anesthesia, mm -hmm. you know, going to the dentist where your dentist would put your head between his knees and pull out a, a tooth with pliers. Uh, even going to the bathroom. I mean, we don't realize how lucky we have it when, you know, we, we, <laughs> we don't have to have night soil men. That's what, that was the euphemism. These guys who would come and take oh, your God. poop away at night, uh, you know, because you had just a big mound of it in your house or, or outside of your house. And they would, uh, so. And because just, doing it during the day would be so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah but anyway it made me grateful and when people talk about the good old days it drives me crazy now how much do you think you actually retained I know that I, I, know, actually, and I, w I would like to point out to everybody who doesn't know that you got onto who wants to be a millionaire I did and I did not get to a million I, I should say but I retained uh, I would say 1% yeah 1%. okay but 1% of 44 million words is much better than I was before. Right. So, like, you know, whatever I think, uh, whatever I see, it sort of sparks a, a, a memory. We ordered Chinese food the night, day after Thanksgiving. So, you know, there's uh, General So's chicken. Now I know General So was a, a general who put down the Taiping Rebellion in China, which was a crazy war that I had barely heard of. It was in the 1860s. 20 million people died in that war. 20 million. And we barely heard of it. And at the same time as our civil war, which cost like about 700,000 lives. So uh, that was another big wake-up call, just the, the very narrowness of our knowledge. Right. And of course, the fact that General Shows Chicken is a completely American invention would even, <laughs> would even further uh, dispel the need to look into history like that. So that's, I think that's really great to sort of get those connections. I, I also, I, I know that you're, well, you, you say that you're, you get fined by your wife now for irrelevant facts, right? Yeah, I did during that project. She made a lot of money, but now I've been able to keep my mouth shut most of the time. Yeah. So we, my friends have a saying, which is Ari's famous facts. And I'm like the, the fountain of useless knowledge. I'm, I'm a big, oh, okay. I'm a big fan of those, of the sort of quote unquote irrelevant 
Um, Let me hear them. one. I, I won't find you. I'd love to hear a, a piece of useless knowledge. Oh, wow. Now I'm going to be on the spot. No, that they have to come up in situations that, are, that remind me of them. Oh. <laughs> All right. I'll try to say something that, that sparks, <laughs> that sparks the knowledge. knowledge. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so... Of all of that knowledge that you not only went through and processed, but in a way filtered. So it, 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 for me, it's it, the 1% that you retained is not necessarily that you forgot all the other stuff, but maybe in some sort of subconscious way, and I think you would have had to refine your ability to filter that information. Right. And I think some of it I filtered well and some I filtered very badly. Right. Uh, I, don't, I have a friend named Josh Four who wrote a great book called Moonwalking with Einstein. Yeah, and yeah he, great book. Yeah. He, so he was a, became the memory champion of the United States, and it's all about memory. And one of his, his big tricks is to, when, when he's trying to remember something, remember use a mnemonic device of visualizing something really dirty and sexual and, uh, and, just, <laughs> and, and just strange. And that sticks in your brain. That, like, lights up the amygdala. So, unfortunately, some of the stuff I remember from the encyclopedia falls into that category. Like, opossums have 13 nipples. Or Rene Descartes, the philosopher, had a fetish for cross-eyed women. You know, this stuff stuck in my brain. Wow. Uh, and I wish it hadn't. Uh, so, sometimes I was able to filter out the important stuff. Other times, not. Okay, I will give you $100 if you can tell me what you call a fetish for cross-eyed women. Oh, interesting. Do you know? No. <laughs> I'm going to oh, know in a second. I, all right, yeah, Google it. I'm going to say it's something like strabophilia. Strabophilia. What about that? Is that it? Because I think cross-eyed, uh, one, the word is something like strip. You tell me. Here, I'll Google it. Uh, I'm, looking at it. I'm, not, I'm not coming up with it specifically although it's immediately coming up with Rene Descartes about 14 times hey there you go uh, strabismus strabismus the, I just got it yes okay is wow. cross-eyed and wall-eyed so strabismophilia if it doesn't have a name that's I'm going to coin that name well um, do I get my hunt no I don't get it you were close I mean I think that's worth at least 50 <laughs> so uh, on that is a sort of uh, a very small side note um since i like my useless knowledge um do you do you know what ir- arachibutyrophobia is no that's a good is that, that's not the peanut butter sticking to the top of your mouth yes it is holy hey! cow <laughs> okay so for everybody arachibutyrophobia is one of my favorites to remember and that is a fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth so, I have a very mild case of that. Not strong, but yeah, you know, it's not pleasant. It's interesting. So, yes, it is true. Everything has a fetish. And one of the ones that I heard more, most recently, by the way, is about a fetish having to do with quicksand. And those people are called sinkers. Mm, no, I never heard of that. Yes. That's then, interesting. There is a whole community around this, and they actually have maps where they identify good places for quicksand and describe the texture. And it's, there's the people who like to be in it and the people who like to watch. Wow, so, that is a good piece of knowledge. That yeah. now that was a useless piece of knowledge that Thank my you. wife would find me a dollar. <laughs> so don't rem- don't forget sinkers. And uh, sinkers. I, I had no intention of going into this realm on this interview, but I'm glad we did. So the last one that the last book that I want to talk about, which is the the most bizarre, honestly, and the most comical in a lot of ways, I guess. But 
in the end, from what I gathered from the book, probably the most rewarding, was your year of living biblically. Yeah, that was, and that came about because I grew up with no religion at all. I say in the book, I'm Jewish, but I'm Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian. So uh, <laughs> not fair. No offense to the Olive Garden. But I wanted to learn about my heritage and religion and know what to teach my kids. So I thought, why not learn it from the inside out by immersing myself in it and trying to follow everything the Bible says as literally as possible. So I got a board of advisors, rabbis, ministers, and priests, and I wrote down every rule that I could find, and I literally tried to follow it. So the famous ones, the, the you know, love your neighbor, Ten Commandments, uh, and then, but but also the less famous ones. It, it, you can't shave the corners of your beard. I didn't know where the corners were, so I just had this huge topiary hanging from my chin. Uh, you know, it says that in the Hebrew scriptures, you got to stone adulterers. So I, I would try. I try. I, I did stone one adulterer. I used a very small pebble, but uh, that was it. I just tried to follow everything without picking and choosing, and it was an amazing year. So before we get into that nitty gritty, this this is probably going to sound like an obvious question, and you are, uh, you know, you're Jewish, obviously. Did you consider following other texts like the Quran or you know the Bhagavad Gita or something like that? You know, I've gotten a lot of emails from people saying to that I should try to follow one of those. I. Uh... But I stuck with the Bible because, as you say, I, I am Jewish. and I Yeah, I mean, it would make the, the most sense, but I just wanted to ask. Right. And I've also gotten suggestions to, to try to do all the positions in the Kama Sutra, which uh, my wife immediately put the kibosh on, which I'm glad about. I don't, I don't have that kind of flexibility anymore. Well, that's the thing. That's not just something you can be like, oh, I'll do it. You have to really work to it. It's like Ashtanga Yoga it takes years to get through the entire sequences. So um, right. why should the... Uh, the Kama Sutra be any different. Um, okay, so living the year biblically, you're writing down all these rules. You live in a modern world. You already have, at this point, you had three children already, right? That's right. Right. Oh, no, I had one child, uh, but I was fruitful and multiplied. Okay. That was the, that's the first commandment. So right. I took that very seriously and had, had twins. Yeah, well, that, I mean, obviously something was uh, was working in your favor. So <laughs> was, there, was there anything that you... That there was just no way you could follow, given your current life, your lifestyle, your your world, whatever. Well, there was a lot that was quite difficult. You know, there was the stoning of adulterers or, right. or the whole thing about not touching women while they're menstruating. And if you take Leviticus really literally, then you cannot sit in a seat where a menstruating woman has sat. And my wife found this offensive, so she sat in every seat in our apartment. So she, mar was, she marked like a dog? <laughs> yeah, she marked the territory, and I was forced to stand for much of the year, which later turned out during my health book to be much healthier. So uh, she's doing me a favor. <laughs> okay, but well, so was there anything you actually couldn't do? You you put it down. You're like, no, I can't. This this is there is no way to make this work. Well, there's the sacrificing of she goats and oxen. That was quite quite a challenge. So I had to, to find workarounds. Right? What's that? You could have gone to a butcher. Yeah, yeah, uh, but I was a. I found little workarounds, you know. I certainly did sacrifice uh, grains, which is a big part of the Bible. You know, they don't talk about that much, but you know, sacrificing uh, grains and fruits and vegetables, it's not quite as violent. Right, <laughs> it's better for a vegetarian. Like uh, right, of course. Well, so what? 
was what were some of the ones that you that you did that you that you that stuck with you because they really worked other than I, well I, I, go ahead actually before i even try to put words in your mouth what are the ones well, that there, sort of stuck there, with you i mean there are tons uh, okay. well that's good just yeah just some are just practicing the sabbath i think is a wonderful thing trying not to work on a saturday or sunday because we live in a such a workaholic lifestyle now there's also the idea of gratitude that was probably the biggest life changer because i had to say these prayers of thanksgiving all the time that's what the bible says so i would be saying for the littlest thing like i'd press the elevator button and be thankful the elevator came and i'd get in the elevator i'd be thankful it didn't plummet to the basement and and I was doing it hundreds of times a day. And you, it's weird, but you start to realize there are hundreds of things that go right every day. And we just focus on the three or four that go wrong. So that was a radical shift in perspective that I've tried to keep. That's and, and which is great. I mean, and, and there's so much research on gratitude. Meanwhile, I mean, everybody from from religious figures to Mark Divine of SealFit talks about how gratitude is one of the best things that that you can practice in order to just be be more happy in general. I agree. I mean, I think yeah, gratitude is like a wonder drug, and uh, and forgiveness too. I mean, I, uh, I I learned to be a little more forgiving. I still hold grudges, and uh, you know, I try not to. But forgiving is is so good for you. Like, so don't think about that other bastard and that uh, he deserves to be forgiven or doesn't. Think about yourself and how better you feel when you are able to forgive someone. It's a very selfish way to forgive. It's almost you, you realize that it's it, it, it's good for you to forgive. I, and I think that's great. And I think that's, that from that much effort that you put into doing all this stuff, to, for that to be a major takeaway is, is just is great. So let's talk about the new project. Yes. What, well, what do you got project- up your sleeve? Well, I've always been interested in family and tracing the roots of my uh, ancestors all the way back to the beginning of time. So I'm doing that, and I'm actually trying to build the largest family tree in in history. And I'm going to throw, at the end of this project, I'm going to throw the largest family reunion in history. It's got to be about 5,000 people. That's the record. And my thesis is, that everyone's related. You just have to figure out how. I mean, we all are, if you go back far enough, we're all relatives. So maybe we should be a little nicer to each other. You know, Not that that works with my sons who like to wrestle each other, even though they're brothers. But the basic idea is we're all related. Let's try to get along better. And it's going to be, I'm so psyched about the reunion, it's going to be uh, like a TED conference meets a family reunion meets maker's fair and it's going to be in 2015 at the new york hall of science in queens where the world's fair what took place and everyone i would everyone's invited because we, we just got to figure out how we're related so go to global re, global family and uh and uh and we will uh, we'll figure out how you're related and what is the world's biggest uh, family tree currently? Well, there's a there's a website called Genie that has uh, sort of like a Wikipedia of family trees. So you upload yours, and then it connects. Oh.
Sorry, you cut out it. You upload yours in Connects. It cut out for a second. Oh yeah, so it connects to my my tree right now is at about seventy thousand, sixty eight thousand. Wow. Okay, and uh, that's going to be. Uh, and you're going to be belt. on it, Eric. We just have to find out how. We're going to get you. I hope I am. I, I, that would be fun. Uh, and by the way, speaking of th- that kind of stuff and, and useless knowledge, I guess. Did you hear about the uh, the family tree thing that they created in Iceland? No, I didn't hear about that. Okay, so, so my wife and I had the the fortune or, or misfortune, depending on how you look at it, of going to Iceland for our honeymoon. Mm. And uh, it's a very interesting country, and we had a wonderful time. But it is it is bizarre, and I don't think anybody can argue that. It's very different than almost anything else I've ever experienced. But uh, in Iceland, they don't have last names. You know, their, their last name is their father's name followed by son or daughter. Daughter. Interesting. So genealogy is very tough. It's also a country of 300,000 people. So finally, apparently, they created a registry this year where if you're going to date somebody, you can put in their, their name somehow and something and, and figure out not if you're related, but how closely you're related. <laughs> That's great. I like that. I'm yeah. going to look into that. Well, I had my wife take a DNA test and I took a DNA test and turns out we are cousins. We are, I married my cousin. So uh, that's fun. You know, that is, adds a little frisson to the marriage. But basically, <laughs> you know, I am an Ashkenazi Jew, and Ashkenazi Jews are like Icelanders, and they, uh, they did so much intermarrying, basically, if you, you are cousins with every other Ashkenazi Jew. Yeah, basically. And so I'm, I'm half Ashkenazi and half Sephardic. So I'm, there you go. Yeah, so it, it's, it, it's all one big swirl. <laughs> Right. Um, so that's when's that book going to come out? Well, the reunion itself is not till 2015, so right, maybe okay. not till late in 2015 or 16. Okay, so that's. I mean, I, I, the amount of research you must be doing is is got to be. Well, I am. It, it is like it is the biggest uh, project in a sense that I've undertaken, and also I'm turning it into a fundraiser for Alzheimer's. So that's going to be. It won't just be a. A family reunion will also be a fundraiser. Oh, I'm afraid you cut out. How's that? Oh, yeah. No, okay. you're Are you getting any outsourced help with this? Ah, I am doing a little outsourced help, and I can't wait to read your book to figure out how to do more because that is so crucial. Well, I mean, let's not forget that you have that wonderful article about your outsourced life. I did, yes. About eight years ago, I, uh, I I decided to outsource everything in my life. So I hired a team of people in India to do uh, to answer my phone, answer my emails, argue with my wife for me. <laughs> you were Read way ahead times. of your time to do that eight years ago, by the way. I know, I know it has really caught on. It's very interesting to watch. You know, I started it out as sort of a lark, but now it's not a lark at all. This is like the way the world works, uh, but. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I'm very interested to hear your secrets on outsourcing and uh, and how to do it efficiently because I feel I'm not maximizing my outsourcing. Well, thank you. I hope that I hope that I can provide some insight that you haven't already gleaned from all of your work. Um, so the last question that I, I like to ask everybody on this podcast, which uh, I always get such interesting answers, and I, I, I'm particularly excited to hear yours, is what are your top three personal tips? For being more effective every day. 
All right. Well, here's one that's a little odd, but I, I do say I should shouldn't I should build up to the odd ones. But let me just start with an odd one, which is that you can talk to yourself. It's very interesting if you talk to yourself when you're alone. It elevates your mood. Um, the language centers activate, making you less angry. You are also able able to sort of be have better metacognition because if you start going down a dark road and and worrying excessively about something, you can hear it yourself. So I say, ignore the strange looks from uh, friends and family and try talking to yourself. That's number one. Uh, number two, uh, this is not original to me, but but posture. Uh, there's a great TED Talk on how standing in a power position with your chest out and your shoulders back actually improves your mood. So I would say stand up straight. You know, I, I have terrible posture normally. Uh, like I look like one of those hominids in the evolutionary chart, but the, but I make a point <laughs> to really stand up straight. So that would be number uh, two. And then number three is just the idea of if you're not feeling productive, or creative, then then act as if you're feeling productive. I'm a big fan of the whole fake it till you make it idea, and I think that's been a a common thread throughout all of my experiments. Is uh, even with the health book, for instance, I was I, I would feel overwhelmed. I'd like I'm never going to be able to do this, but I would convince myself uh, I would act as if this was going to be a, a hit book, and I would uh, call my uh, contacts I would call my editor to tell him the plans for the launch party and after a couple hours of doing this I convinced myself and I became a lot more confident so so just act as if you're confident and eventually you'll become a little more confident I love that Uh, and actually one of the the techniques that I'm often telling clients about if you want to stick to a goal tell friends and family about it Oh, that is a good one. So, I well, agree. no, I mean, you just said it. You know, you tell your editor, you tell it's 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 not only a matter of acting as if and sort of convincing yourself, but it's it's sort of that that accountability, obviously. So, those are those are great tips from someone who's lived according to the Bible, read the encyclopedia, and learned everything that they could ever learn about health. So, I, I think that uh, anybody listening should take those suggestions to heart. So well, thank you. Well, no, thank you. Uh, so AJ, where can people find out everything about you? I'm going to put links and everything to the show notes, but you know, where can they find out about you? Oh, well, that's very nice. Yeah, my website is ajjacobs.com, ajjacobs.com, uh, and and again, try globalfamilyreunion.org, uh, and because uh, I would love to have everyone listening come to this reunion. You know, the idea is. Uh, we're all seven billion people are part of the same family, so we'll find a way to get you there. Great. Well, everybody listening, hopefully we'll see you and I will see you at the family reunion that AJ is going to be holding in 2015. <laughs> so, um, AJ, thank you so much again for, for taking the time, and uh, it was really great speaking to you. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Ari. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast with Ari Mizell. For more ways to make everything in your life easier, head over to lessdoing.com and also on Twitter at twitter.com slash Ari Mizell or Facebook at facebook.com slash lessdoing. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to head over to iTunes and leave a positive review. 
it's greatly appreciated. You can learn the art of less doing, getting started with biohacking, and how to make Gmail, IFTTT, and virtual assistants your ultimate productivity toolbox at udemy.com slash less doing. Until next time, keep optimizing, automating, and outsourcing everything you do.